listeners. I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You? For people like me who love books and the stories behind the books, this show gives me the chance to ask authors about what they write and why they write. Plus, I like to throw in a few odd questions just to get to know each author a little bit better as a person. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today, I welcome Tim Horvath, whose short stories have earned a diversity of accolades and prizes. Tim's first collection, Understories, won the New Hampshire Literary Award for Outstanding Work of Fiction and was chosen as an NPR reading selection. The prestigious writing journal, The Kenyon Review, had this to say about Tim's book, A Wild Ride. Understories is a highly invented short story collection that interweaves absurdity with a deep understanding of what makes people tick. Tim, welcome to the podcast. I'm glad to have this opportunity to catch up with you. Thanks so much for having me, Joni. I'm really glad to be here. So, Tim, your work, and this includes the stories not only in your debut collection, but all the ones that you've created since then, and you keep publishing in literary journals, they really do give readers a wild ride. One of the pieces in Understories, for example, is about a city that consists only of restaurants. And another one imagines a world where physicists and shadow puppeteers work together. So all this to say, I think if I had to describe a Tim Horvath story in one word, which is, of course, impossible to do, but one term I might use is experimental. But how would you describe your writing or your work? Oh, that's a tough one to (laughs) distill it down to a word or even a phrase, but I will say that one word that I came up with in my teaching when I was designing a class on offbeat stories written by other people was Unruly, Unruly Fictions. Um, (laughs) It was subtitled Surreal, Experimental, and Unclassifiable Narratives. And what I liked about this word was that it didn't constrain me to any tradition of experimental writing. And, you know, things can be unruly in so many different ways. So I could really teach whatever I wanted, which is nice. So I'm going to stick with that for now, at least as an aspirational thing for my own writing. Well, I think you've invented your own genre. I haven't seen that yet, the unruly section of the bookstore, but I love it. It feels very liberating as a reader and a writer. Well, thank you. I would hope so. Well, you once wrote, my stories are meant to discern and explore imaginative possibilities. And so I thought, Tim, while I had this opportunity, I need you to help me unpack that a little bit. What do you mean by an imaginative possibility? I think that our lives and the world around us is better understood as an array of possibilities rather than merely an array of facts. Obviously, facts are crucial, but we need to be able to think in terms of what might be, and the clue to what might be often lies in what is, but also sometimes what is can obscure what might be because we become so accustomed to it. We become, you know, acclimated. Like when you first walk into a place and you smell like a certain smell, and then you're there for a half hour and you no longer are even aware of it. And so the very possibility of an alternative becomes hard to discern. So I think that's what I mean by that. And I think that fiction is in some ways an ideal activity to reveal hidden possibilities. 
um, and to to push them into even hypothetical existence is to test them and to test their viability, to test their beauty. So I'm not sure if that helps unpack or if that leaves more unpacking to do. <laughs> well, there's always more unpacking to do, especially with your wonderful work. Thank you. Tim, I would love for you to give readers a firsthand taste of something that you're working on now. Yeah. Um, so this is a story that currently is in progress. The tentative title is The Purge. So it's The Purge 5.docx right now <laughs> is the full title. And I'll just read the opening couple of paragraphs to give you a taste of it. My father's father was a well digger, and my father is a well digger, and I am not one. And if either one were able to see me today, sipping the lilac martini that my wife saw in a magazine that she had to try mixing, they would be silent, but I know what they'd be thinking. They were men who swilled drinks that chewed out their insides, men who didn't mind, actually wanted to be devoured from within, the same way they had devoured the earth with their own implements. These were not men who tarried in sweet flavors or garnishes, or who allowed themselves any more than the rarest and most fleeting indulgences of the flesh. These were not men who let flower petals bob on drinks. They were hard men who wore the earth around them thick as suits, the spattered gray working itself into their pores and under their skin until I was sure if you could see inside them, granules would have constituted themselves as part of their essential substance. Um, and I can stop there. That's just the opening paragraph of the story. <laughs> well, if that isn't an invitation to read on. So why did you pick that particular passage to share? Well, partly I picked it just because I'm working on it. And, um, you know, I feel like one of the challenges of writing is to be able to appreciate and enjoy your work enough as you're doing it so that you're not afraid to go back to it. <laughs> you're not avoiding the work itself. And so, you know, I am someone who will labor a lot on sentences. Um, I'm not someone who burns through complete drafts necessarily right away. You know, part of the reason for that is that I feel like I'm shaping later parts of the story, even as I'm writing some of these earlier sentences. And part of it also is that if I can take pleasure in what I've already written, it makes it more likely that I'm going to stick with it, that I'm going to bring the story to fruition. Well, I think that speaks to another aspect of the creative writing process, which is you do need to know when to dwell a bit and luxuriate in the language. And you also need to know when you just need to move it forward in the drafting process. Let's talk about some of your work that you're doing right now. I read you have a new project called Unbow. Could you talk about that? It sounded so interesting. So Unbow came out of a collaboration I was researching my novel, and part of my novel research meant going to Darmstadt, Germany in 2018. And Darmstadt is an extremely avant-garde music gathering and festival and school. And there I met Rafaela Andrade, who's a Brazilian composer who lives now in the Netherlands. And I just sort of put out a message as I was going 
if any composers wanted to talk to me, I would be glad to meet with them. And Rafaela was the first person who responded. Hmm. And we got together and had brunch and hit it off. And then a year or so later, after Darmstadt, we had stayed in touch loosely. But I saw that she was doing a Kickstarter for, you know, a musical instrument that she was uh, designing, an electroacoustic cello. And she was a classically trained cellist who was interested also in experimental music or unruly music, maybe is the, is the better <laughs> term at this point. And so I pledged to her Kickstarter campaign because I thought, wow, this is really cool. This is wild. And, you know, at some point we were talking afterward and she asked, hey, rather than just getting a copy of the CD, how would you like to actually participate in the making of it? And so I was like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so how does it work exactly? Is it almost as if she provides a soundtrack for your stories or your stories provide a narrative for her compositions? The music really came first, although... I would always share the stories with her and we would sort of go back and forth as they were in process. And so, for instance, one of the tracks is called Martele, and that's based on a traditional bow stroke. She had certain associations with the sound that she was generating. And so like cheese came up as one of the <laughs> as one of the elements. Of course. And so that became part of the story. What I would try to do is take something, either the texture would create the mood of the story or a shift within the sound would become a structural element in the story. And so, yeah, that's how it works. There are all sorts of hidden references if one knows where to look or listen. That is fascinating. Had you ever used music as a prompt before? Well, since I was working on a novel about contemporary composers, I had really been immersed in this world of strange 20th and 21st century music. As part of the research process for that, I've spent a lot of time with composers. I've spent time with ensembles, watching them and listening to them rehearsing. So I had done that kind of ethnographic fieldwork, but I never used it in this very oblique way, where the music just became the launch pad for the story. That is so cool. Tim, I'm going to switch gears now, because you had mentioned a few moments ago that you are a teacher as well of creative writing. And I noticed that one of your course outlines, what you guys focus on is this topic, which is the perks of being obsessive. So I thought maybe you could elaborate on that. What are the perks of being obsessive? Oh, goodness. <laughs> I think so much of writing comes out of healthy obsessions, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, it's a blurry line, I guess, you know, where things cross over. But yeah, I think that so much of my writing comes out of curiosity and fascination and just being driven to explore something and turn it over, kind of turning over rocks in the stream is the way I like to think of so much of what that part of the writing process is. Hmm. So I think that for me, music has become an obsession and classical music has become an obsession. 
And so in order to write this novel, I've taken up the trumpet, for instance. (laughs) I wanted to know what it felt like to make music. I should preface it by saying that I took piano lessons as a kid (laughs) for about 10 years. And so for me, music is so tied to the piano keyboard that I almost can't help but imagine a piano as I'm hearing music. And so that taking up the trumpet was a way of breaking out of that. And I decided to make my character a trumpeter. You know, I gave him an instrument as far from the piano as I could think of. And so did I need to take lessons in order to capture it authentically? I'm not sure. But for me, it was important because it gave me then a fresh perspective on this topic. And, you know, it allows me to understand music in a radically different way. And you're a great example of when you're working on something, the power of immersing yourself in that experience, that perspective. So thank you. I also saw that you require your students to keep a field journal of observations and exercises and maps and found poetry. What do you think the value of a field journal is? I think that when we are attuned for things and when we have a subject on our minds, we draw connections and we find that subject everywhere. So coming back to turning over rocks in the stream, there are rocks to be overturned everywhere. And if you have a physical journal with you, then you're more likely to remember, to notice, and to pay attention. In your field journal, what's one of the latest rocks in your stream that you turned over or noticed and thought, I need to commit that to the page? Oh, wow. I don't have my journals on hand, but certainly I've had them with me in those rehearsal spaces while watching performances and watching ensembles rehearse. I will say one set of things that I found going into that journal was that as I was listening to performances, I would come up with ideas for pieces. And so I started jotting them down, not in any linear way. I would write them at a weird angle, (laughs) (laughs) sort of bouncing in the margins. And At some point, I decided, oh, these together collectively could be a story, just stringing together these different pieces. So that became actually a story that was published as a portrait of the composer as a young and then not so young temp. And that all came from marginalia. It literally came from those. I mean, I took those notes and then I further described those pieces. But each one of them was taken from the field journal. I love the way you've been talking about the way some of your stories manifest and how you give birth to them. It's just striking. Well, I want to move from your own work in writing and your teaching because I noticed that you also write reviews. And I think that's an art unto itself to write a review. How do you approach that kind of undertaking? That is where I get really obsessive, actually. Well, there's perks to being obsessive, Tim. We know that now. I've heard. (laughs) (laughs) And there are perks to being a reviewer, like getting free early advanced copies of books that you really want to read. 
But yeah, for me, a, a review is very challenging because I want to immerse myself in a book and particularly if I'm really loving it. So for me, the process is really to go through the book and to mark it up, which I always am reluctant to do with this pristine advanced copy that I've received. But I tell myself, okay, you love this book, you'll get an actual copy. I'm going to sacrifice this for the project. <laughs> and I think that that sense of active engagement with the work for me is probably the most important thing I've learned about reading over my reading life. Hmm. Um, I used to teach a class at NHAA called Reading Intensely. And the idea of that class was the best way to learn to read as a writer was to read with a pen and to sacrifice <laughs> your pristine copy um, for, for the sake of the craft lessons and even the emotional engagement that you could get from that kind of active reading. I think you certainly do justice, though, to those authors' efforts. And so I appreciate that. Thank you. You know, Tim, you strike me as a writer's writer. You're willing to take chances. And, you know, we all know that experimental fiction and sometimes literary fiction, it has a very appreciative, but also typically a smaller readership. And I wanted to ask you just a philosophical question. And would you rather be a commercially successful author or would you rather be an author admired and renowned for his literary acumen? Oh, do I have to choose? <laughs> well, you can answer the question any way you want. I feel like, um, yes, there are marketing categories and some books are marketed in particular ways. But I think there's a hunger out there in many people for something that reads well and is also of substance. I want to think that I don't have to choose. So <laughs> that's my evasive answer, I guess. I also think that in my experience, independent bookstores have so much to do with a book's success, the kind of word of mouth buzz that gets generated. And in my experience, people working at independent bookstores tend to be just wonderful readers. They are people who epitomize that kind of hunger for something that is just a great story, um, but that also is going to make you think or grapple with contemporary issues or provocative ideas. So I'm ever so grateful for the existence of such places, but also of staff picks. And when I see the momentum that a book can get through bookstore support alone, that really is where I feel uh, most reassured. Mm -hmm. God bless independent bookstores and staff picks, that's for sure. Tim, I have one last question for you, which is if you were to write a six-word memoir, what would it be? This is what I'm thinking at the moment. <laughs> Subject to revision, I hope. <laughs> Between mountains, cities, shoreline, seeking music. There's an M dash in there, by the way, between shoreline and seeking music. I tend to use that mark of punctuation a lot. How would you further describe that memoir? Goodness. I think um, what 
I'm trying to do is to recognize the role that landscape has played in my life and continues to play. Obviously, place is, is very important to who I am, but also that wherever I am and whoever I am with, I'm seeking something musical. So music isn't necessarily even literal music there, but everything that music represents in terms of voice, sound, the ability to listen, and also, I guess, would even include conversation. Tim, I appreciate this conversation, and I think I'm going to plan on being more obsessive now that I know about perks. And also, I really appreciate this time. Thank you, Joni. I hope that your obsessions take you down some wild paths. And thank you so much for your time and for this great show. Listeners, if you would like to learn more about Tim's unruly work or find out about how you can participate in one of his upcoming classes, please visit timforvath.com. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, JoniBCole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, and don't be afraid to ask the odd question.